0: Welcome to the Doctor Patient Forum, a no-holds-barred patient advocacy podcast discussing why millions of pain patients continue to suffer, but most importantly, who caused the suffering. Join us weekly as we discuss how you can help end the untreated pain crisis.
1: This episode is going to be about OPAL, the new study that just came out of Australia. But before we get into it, I just want to say, since we recorded this podcast, we have gotten some more information about the study. We were able to get the appendix. I will put the appendix in the show note, which includes supplemental information about the study. And we are planning on having Dr. Chad Colas, who is on our board, on our podcast, hopefully sometime within the next week so that we can ask him more questions about this study to make sure we have every detail correct that we are explaining to you.
0: While I was away on vacation, I started to get texts from many people asking me if I was watching Good Morning America, and they had a segment on, and basically then was, wow, interesting research coming out of Australia saying that opioids are not effective for low back pain, and they have the same effect as a placebo. Uh, and this would ultimately cause a Twitter storm, and then Bev jumped into action. And and this, we're going to be addressing this uh, on Patreon. So if you're watching it, we we humbly totally thank you for your support. So Bev, we're going to try and really uh, yeah. narrow this down. There's yep. a group of researchers out of Australia who we know have ties. Yep to anti-opioid organizations throughout the United States. Yeah,
1: Yeah. so let me tell you how this actually unfolded and, and what happened in the order that it happened. So the end of June, I started seeing, I have Google alerts for all this stuff, and I started seeing all these Google alerts for articles saying there was a new deprescribing guideline out of Australia. But it wasn't just one, it was articles across the world. Like they were really pushing this deprescribing guideline. So I looked at it and I noticed that Jason Doctor, he is a he is an American psychologist who has worked with prop. He was an author on those guidelines, and I didn't think much about it. I saw it, I was like, whatever. Well, about four days later, I start seeing. All of these articles, uh, study, first study to show that opioids don't work for pain. Opioids make pain worse, all of that. What is a deep prescribing guideline? It's okay. really like tapering. I mean, it really is saying take them from one dose to a lower one. And it's really manipulative the same way they do here, where it's like, if the patient doesn't want to taper, then you need to modify their behavior. That's bad pain behavior. You need to gain their trust and then force them to do it anyway. And you know, the same type of manipulation that that they use here. And so when this, when these articles started coming out, and I mean, there were probably 250, one right after the other about this study, it's called OPAL. I still don't know what it stands for. If it stands for anything, I'm not really sure. It's a group of researchers in Australia. And I think there's one doctor They're mostly, um, there's a PhD student and they're mostly public health PhD people. And they decided to do this study on low back pain, acute pain for low back or neck pain and opioids. So as people know, you know, they say all the time, we don't have any random RCT, randomly controlled trials or random controlled trials. And I'm going to explain that quickly the best of my ability. So that just means in a study, in these studies, Normally, you have a control group, which means in this case, the group that's getting opioids. And then the other group, which is a placebo group, they're not going to get any opioids. But they want it blinded, which means neither group knows who's getting what. Right. So that's basically what they did. And, you know, as Dr. Colas has said repeatedly, it's not really ethical to do this for pain patients because you're really telling the patient like you might get nothing and you just have to be okay with it. And, you know, it could lead to really bad outcomes. And so that's why there's never really been a long a long term study like this. I wonder where they even found. Participants so for they the study. they struggled. They really they, they tried on social media, they tried every way they could. And then they actually did have to adjust what they were saying that they would accept because it took them, I believe, six years to find three hundred and forty-seven participants. Six years. Um, and they got it from primary care doctors and emergency rooms or whatever. But before we get into the actual study, I want to explain to you how the study came to be. And then I want to briefly go into the flaws in the study design itself so that inevitably, if your doctor brings this up, you're going to be able to speak about it. This. So here is a, a two-minute interview in Australia with a pain doctor there
2: and the lead researcher, Christine Len. Giles Cooper was a fit and busy 30-year-old until the pandemic saw him sitting more than moving. So I woke up one morning after quite a long period of um, sitting down and working and really struggled to get out of bed. His back pain took him to a GP who prescribed him opioids. I was in quite a negative spiral of taking some painkillers, getting some relief, um, doing a little bit of activity, um, the back becoming triggered. New research from the University of Sydney shows why people like Giles may struggle to feel better. The researchers studied almost 350 people with sudden neck or back pain. At six weeks, those given opioids had no better pain relief than those who were given a placebo. After 12 months, pain outcomes were slightly better in the placebo group. What we're saying is based on the findings of our study, opioids shouldn't be used at all because they don't give any short-term
1: benefits in pain relief and they may lead to long-term harm.
2: Opioids carry risks of addiction, and the study found people given painkillers had a higher risk of misuse in the long term. But some pain specialists say current practices shouldn't change because the study didn't use treatments that doctors typically prescribe. The drug that they've chosen to use is Targon, which is an oxycodone-naloxone combination, which is unapproved for use in acute pain and is actually not recommended by the Faculty of Pain Medicine for use in acute pain. For Giles, everything changed when he found a physiotherapist who used education and physical therapy to manage his pain. A lot of my pain was coming from my brain creating it as opposed to the actual injury. He's been off painkillers for six months and he's back playing sport. Okay. So, oh, that
0: bastard probably wished he never got involved with this.
1: That's a really good summary of what happened in the. There's several authors. There's Christine Lynn, there's an author, Chris Mayer, and several other authors. But what she said is what they're all saying to media, Caitlin Jones, too. They're saying, Our study shows that opioids should not be used for low back pain or neck pain ever even as a last resort, even if nothing else works, it should not be used and we need to update guidelines. So when I saw that, I was like, well, this must be a really strong study, right? So we started looking around to see if we could find the study. It took us a long time because Lancet wants you to pay $40 for it um, because this was published in the Lancet, which as we know, there was another ridiculous Lancet report not that long ago. So anyway, this, this was published in The Lancet. So I started looking up where did this come from? Who are these people? And then we started seeing ties to familiar names. In The Lancet, there was, in 2018, a low back pain series. In that, they had several different articles. It was a series of three articles, and they had authors that we know. Roger Chow, Judith Turner, all these other wonderful people that we know and love. And then from that, this is where Opal came from. That's what it, um, the author said. This is an and extension for, of those.
0: For, for people who don't know, Roger Chow is one of the original authors of the 2016 CDC guideline, and yeah. I believe he's out of OHSU, right? Oregon yep. Health?
1: Yep, Science Science University. University. Okay. Yep. And then he's also on AHRQ and you know, he signed the prop petition. He's he has so many conflicts of interest, but no one seems to care. Who's Judith Turner? Judith Turner has done things with prop and she works out of view of Washington also. And then Von Korf is also in Ballantine. So when I saw on the Lancet so far in what I was able to see of this study at that time, you see that Ballantine, Jane Ballantyne, and Mark Sullivan from Prop were personally asked by the Lancet to comment on the study, right? So right away we're like, well, that seems really shady. Why would they ask them of all people unless they have, you know, a goal in mind, which is their conclusion that opioids shouldn't be used for for acute pain, even as a last resort. So from the little we could read of the art of the study, we started tweeting about it and reading about it and we're like, huh, this study seems really ridiculous. I'm gonna go into really quickly just about this study, what is flawed about it. This is what they did. They split it up into two groups, about 150 in each group, one placebo, one not. And they gave the opioid group that doctor was talking about, Targon. Now, Targon is a product. It is a Purdue Pharma product in Australia that is oxycodone and naloxone combination long acting slow release they call it modified release there. It is not a short acting opioid and it's not even approved for acute pain in Australia. And it is never used for acute pain in Australia. So right away that's a problem. What they started them on was Can I, ask you, I
0: want to yeah. ask you a question. Somebody brought yeah. this up.
1: we're wondering why that
0: medication doesn't cause precipitated withdrawal maybe because it's overall like a it's a
1: extended release medication i have to say everyone's been taught asking that question and i can't get a straight answer but i did find in the um information of the medication itself that it said if you are opioid tolerant like if you take opioids regularly it actually can put you in precipitated withdrawal. So it doesn't make a whole lot of sense. Now we were we were going back and forth with the authors of this study. There's a PhD candidate, Caitlin Jones, who she was obviously the fall guy who was gonna tell everyone about this study and how it was called a landmark study and you know, world changing, life changing, guideline changing, all of that. And so people started asking her, why did you use this medication? So, their response was this, and and it's written in the study too. They used this long acting oxycodone naloxone medication because regular short acting opioids cause constipation. And if they didn't use this to prevent constipation, people would know whether or not they were in the opioid group because. If you were constipated, they'd be like, oh, I'm in the opioid group. So they said in order to keep the integrity of the trial and not to what they call unblind it, meaning you'll know which group you're in, they gave this medication for that very purpose. But this is a big deal because like that doctor said, they would never use it. And I have two really quick videos. I, I really need to play that. It's just short clips
2: is to use the lowest doses that are reasonable to control the patient's pain. And then the evidence is increasing that we really should try and avoid modified releases, release, slow release, wherever
1: possible. So that's just a quick clip where he goes on to explain that in Australia in 2022, they released more guidelines on acute pain and opioid stewardship and all of that. And one of their main points was when there is acute pain, you don't use long acting because they're not going to work. And they'll just kind of be in the background.
2: Timing is crucial. Mm -hmm. And in my earlier presentation, I talked a lot about slow slow release opioids. And I think one of the advantages of focusing on immediate release opioids is that it's much easier to change the timing of those drugs to respond to incidents than it is for slow release, which just burn on in the background
1: Okay, so that's really important because this is in Australia itself. These are experts when they were launching their acute guidelines saying, never use long acting modified release opioids. The other part about the medication dosage is they started the group with opioids on these long-acting opioids and they started with five milligrams of slow release twice a day. So we're talking, over a course of 24 hours, these people were getting 10 milligrams slow-release oxycodone, which is ridiculous because it's never going to work. It's not going to work. And then normally in a study, they would titrate it up, meaning if if it didn't work, they would give them a little more and a little more and a little more until they got to an effective dose. But that's not what they did. They gave them one dose higher, so they went from 5 milligrams to 10 milligrams and gave them 10 milligrams twice a day over the course of an entire day. Long acting opioids are never really used for acute pain for that reason. It's not going right. to give you, it's not going to give you that relief of, of pain, right? It's, it's going to be. And so the reason they said is a constipation issue. I have my own thoughts as to why I think they did it. I mean, we did find evidence that they are looking to pursue litigation in Australia, just like we did. This Targin is a product of Mundi Pharma, which is a Purdue product. So I think that's probably why they did it. But here's, here's the other thing. Those deprescribing guidelines were also written by one of the authors of this study. Christine Lynn wrote this and those deprescribing guidelines. There were like four or five authors on that guideline group most of which are very heavily funded by endivier. So mm-hmm. isn't it kind of a coincidence that, you know, part of guidelines are like, if they can't withdraw properly, then let's give them Suboxone. And then so many of those people are funded by endivier. And they're like, well, we weren't funded by indivier to do these guidelines. Who cares? You're funded sure. by endivier, you know? And, right. and there's several different things that could be, like Christine Lynn is also, she I, also... see
0: on, I, I see her on Twitter. Yeah. Her yeah. Twitter is at Dr. Christine Lynn, L-I-N. Yeah. And you know what I find um, well, disgusting actually, is that all of these narcissists have backup, right? Yeah. You've got Christine Lynn, yeah. and you've got uh Caitlin Jones and the other one in, in the, the United States, Chris Mayer, right? That all of the healthy narcissists—they yeah. all have that built up. Cause I, but yeah, and, and when we try to speak against these studies, we're always accused of being funded, by which is funders. what happened.
1: And I was—we were really trying hard to be very polite and kind and nice because there's three of these authors that all were making the same claim. Our study shows opioids should never, ever be used for this type of pain ever. Doesn't matter if nothing else worked. And that's a problem because they should never make that conclusion ever. And so we were, we were pushing back and saying, but you, but this was just with a long acting, really low dose opioid. And you're generalizing it to all opioids and they pushed back. And then we even had some in our, like in our own so-called community, just kind of go off on us a little bit. Like you're doing ad hominem attacks and no, we weren't doing they are
0: but they are that's what exactly. an ad hominem attacks exactly attack is. exactly and so that's what we, we yeah. we're always met with this when we speak up yeah. because we're truthful
1: we're yeah. met with ad hominem attacks that's right that's right and so one of the lead authors chris mayer tweeted a few days ago in light of the discussion about our opal study i'm going to just leave this new york post article here and it was a new york post article about how pharma pays patient influencers on social media i mean the same bullshit that you know that Andrew Kalani has been saying this is they never address the issue. They always just say we're paid to say this and it's um, insulting. They also,
2: pay,
0: they also pay Khloe Kardashian to promote Nertek, a migraine medication.
1: Yeah, the they don't, pay. I mean, But we don't and that's the thing. We don't. we don't and that's, that's, that's the thing. And so as I said, Valentine and Sullivan were asked to comment, who, by the way, both are expert witnesses in opioid litigation. Jason Doctor, who is a psychologist in the U.S., who was on the deprescribing guideline group, also is an expert witness in opioid litigation, also has written papers with Mark Sullivan from Prop, but they don't consider that industry funded, right? So Back to the series, there was this Lancet low back pain series. They had a call to action. That was the third article. And then they had an updated call to action, which was printed in the pain journal where Ballantyne is an editor, where they said, this is so important. We have to implement it worldwide. We are gonna have a global conference. We are going to promote it everywhere. And they did, they had a global conference and they had to decide, how are we gonna implement this? And the, the one point I definitely wanna make their reason for doing this, is money. So they're saying low back pain globally costs so-and-so our world so-and-so billion dollars and so we're going to figure out how to not have to pay that money. And so, of course, going after opioids is their way because they're like, well, because we had to pay this in opioids. And if we could just get them to self-manage, if we could just get them to walk or go to alternatives or whatever, then we'll save all this money. So that was their their purpose. But in 2019, in preparation for these deprescribing guidelines... Jane Ballantyne from Prop, Michael Von Korff from Prop, Judith Turner from U of Washington. They all got, and I think Chow too, they all got together and did an evidence review. So that just means they looked at all the studies they could find to see if anyone had ever done this type of trial before on low back pain for acute pain, right? So that was Jane Ballantyne, all of these Prop people. And, you know, they concluded this study was so needed right? So we finally get the PDF of this study. We've After asking repeatedly and Caitlin Jones being really rude about it by being like, I've given it to you so many times, but she didn't because we still didn't have access. We decide, we read the entire study and, you know, to figure out, okay, is this study worth anything? And what can we do about it? So as I said, we definitely tied it to Prop. We tied it to Roger Chow. And now we're going to get into the study itself. Okay. So here's some of the issues. There's two groups. Mm -hmm. The opioid group got a very, very low dose long acting opioid. The other group got placebo. But here's a problem. Two years into the study, so the study, they started collecting evidence and doing all this in 2016. In 2018, big world news, Australia up schedules codeine, which means from two first two years of this study, codeine was over the counter. And there were tons of articles about hoarding of codeine in Australia from people who knew it was going to be up scheduled. So in this study, they're allowed to take medication at home that's, you know, over the counter. Did any of these people you would think so for those two years, those people in the placebo group, did they supplement with codeine since it was over the counter? And and these These are pain patients in this study. It's patient. It's yeah, it's acute pain patients. They had to have pain for at least two weeks in their, their neck and lower back. Again, they say it's at least moderate pain. They excluded anyone with like severe, um, like needed surgery or anything like that. And they excluded anyone on opioids at first.
0: If they were in the placebo group and codeine was over the counter at home, they could have been taking codeine, which would make them
1: not opioid naïve. So, right, and so to address that, instead of them saying, okay, we need to throw out these two years and start over, or them asking them, did you take codeine? They just decide, you know what, let's just change the exclusion. So instead of saying, we can't have people in here who took opioids in the past, which is what they said at first, they said, well, we could include people who take opioids as long as it's 15 milligrams or less a day. So now 33% in one group, 37% in the other group were taking opioids. They were not opioid naive, which, you know, from what we just found out about can this medicine cause precipitated withdrawal? It could have, right? It -hmm. it really could have. And also you're giving people who, say they were on 10 milligrams a day of oxycodone and you're giving them 10 milligrams a day. It's not going to help. So they should have trashed those first two years, but they, they didn't. They didn't trash it because I'm going to tell you why. They had the conclusion before they started, and they were going to come hell or high water, get to that conclusion so they could tell the world, we're the first one to ever do this study, and now we have to change guidelines. So that codeine is a big deal. Here's another big deal. They said they had some compliance issues, but you would think, well, how do we know if they're taking the right amounts? How do we know if they're taking it at all? Anything like that. And the next part is, and I asked this to Chad, yet to Dr. Colas yesterday. So they say they excluded anyone with serious, like spinal issues but they didn't do imaging and they didn't diagnose, they didn't show any diagnosis. So I don't know if Australia is like America, but, I had back pain for months before I could even be approved to get imaging, right? So if they only had pain for two weeks, how do we know it wasn't serious? How do we know it wasn't a kidney stone? How do we know it wasn't cancer? We don't know. We don't know any of that because they didn't test for it. They didn't ask and they didn't give give us that those data points. And so it's a very flawed study. First of all, it's tiny, really, really little. It's definitely flawed. Just the fact of the coding alone, this study should be trashed. Just the fact that they used an opioid that's not even approved for this and would never be used for this, it should be trashed. But they did it because they were so excited to tell the world that they were changing the world stage. They quoted the space trial. They cited the space trial and they cited the CDC guidelines and it's all the same ridiculous people coming to a really ridiculous conclusion because, again, they made it sound like people with low back pain are given opioids right away, which not in 2023, they're not. And they came with the conclusion that if nothing else works, don't give it. And they want that to be written into guidelines. So what happens if someone goes to the hospital because they have severe sudden low back pain, the hospital tries everything, doctor tries everything, nothing else works. And they're like, Sorry, you should just walk because that's what they said in the study. Just walk. And what about six weeks later when it turns out it was cancer? Are they going to be like, "Oh, sorry, we should have given it to you because it wasn't just low back pain"? I mean, Mm -hmm. how do you know? Like, what about treating it until you can figure out what's wrong? But it's not what they're doing. And there's all these series of videos in Australia, just like there were in America over the past two years with all these new guidelines about what to use opioids for, how to tell people they need to come off. It's the same stuff, Claudia, because they're like, oh, well, opioids don't work for chronic pain. So... If a patient says they do, they're obviously either addicted or crazy and, you know, we have to tell them they have to come off. I mean, it's the same nonsense as Mm -hmm. if it's worked so well in this country, but they really do. It does sound like it's parallel, like it's doing the same thing as they're doing here. And, you know, when I asked Caitlin Jones, why did they ask for Valentine and Sullivan of all people to comment? Now, this was before we traced it all with Valentine and Chow and all of that. She responded saying the Lancet did that because they wanted to ask experts in this field well, wrong, because they're not experts in this field. Neither one treats pain, back pain specifically, acute pain, definitely. Sullivan's a psychiatrist. So that's not true. They're experts in one thing, and that's opioid elimination, and that's getting litigation pushed through, and that's manipulating data and people and media to push their narrative, which is exactly what they're doing. And we were able to find people in Australia who are like, they're cracking down, I can't get my pain treated now. Oh, and one more thing thing not only are they saying it doesn't help they're saying it's evidence that it makes pain worse there's evidence of opioid-induced hyperalgesia because supposedly in the non-opioid group they had a little bit less pain than in the opioid group but I don't know maybe that's because they they could have been taking codeine I don't know but your link tweeted it and Kalani tweeted it and then the authors you know confirmed it and I asked probably no less than 50 times on social media in the past few days to the authors and anyone defending this study. Do you agree with the conclusions of these authors that opioids should never, ever be used for these things, even if nothing else worked? And three of the authors said, yes, that's what I think. I mean, I push back against William. He's, he's, a pharmacist who was sort of being really odd about this whole thing. And I kept asking him, do you agree? And he never, he would never respond, but that's their conclusion. And then people are like, Oh, well, it'll be okay because it'll only be applied to this group of people. No, it won't. No. no,
0: no. Oh my God. The poor people of Australia, what they, and they've already been cracking down in Australia because yeah. I, I, I see it on LinkedIn, but yeah, I feel so badly. You know, we've. Are, I think we've bottomed out in the United States. Oh, That's so think bad. Can get rid of here, um, uh, yeah. I mean, Australia—they're going to really, yeah. they're going to get creamed. And I yeah. wonder how many of these people involved in that study, or if any
1: in the future, will be testifying in Australia's yeah. opioid litigation. I mean, that's a really good question. And how many of these people are, these authors are gonna be expert witnesses? I'm sure Ballantyne is, you know, running camps to teach them how to do it, right? I mean, I'm sure she is.
0: This is so disgusting.
1: She also in 2014, she spoke at the Australian Pain Society conference with Chris Mayer. So Ballantyne and these authors have a long history of you know working together and opioids don't work for pain and you know and that's why i wrote that like little summary on twitter where you know it started with opioids don't work for chronic pain only if evidence outweigh benefits outweigh risk and then it turned into never give them at all and then it turned into they work for acute pain but then they said it doesn't work for acute pain it doesn't work for any pain opioids don't kill pain they kill people like don teeter said but they always still say use it for end of life and cancer pain but why would they want to use it for end of life and cancer pain if it makes pain worse and makes it worse why they want these people to suffer more is that (laughs) seriously and then what happens sickle cell disease is supposed to be an exclusion Right. So now you have someone in a sickle cell crisis. The pain is in their back. They go to the emergency room and the emergency room's like, I'm sorry, we can't give you opioids because it's low back pain. Well, it's for sickle cell. Well, it doesn't matter. The new guidelines say we can't give it for anything at all for low back pain. Wow. What a shame. I don't
0: know.
1: I I hope that we didn't go through that too quickly or that it makes sense. I will be putting in these notes. uh,
0: Chris Mayer tweeted, you know, he's happily tweeted, Opioids should no yeah. longer be prescribed to patients with acute low back and neck pain, according to Australian researcher. Yeah. All, just yeah. unbelievable. Yeah,
1: and media, I mean, I when I tell you it was in every country, it was in India, it was Japan, it was in Denmark, it was in France, all over the US. And everyone is, they are running victory labs. They're really yeah. saying this is the evidence we've been waiting for. But really it's all just an extension of this Lancet low back pain series that they had this vast implementation plan. And you know, those deep prescribing guidelines that, that I found um, in Australia, they had a docket similar to how they did in the U.S. where they had people comment. And it's really the same. Like on those comments, you have doc- a doctor who was like, you guys are policing doctors and they're not going to prescribe because they don't want to go to prison. They don't want to get in trouble. It's the same thing. They're doing the same. It's the same blueprint as what they did here. Uh, with those guidelines, you know? They might as well just call a CDC guidelines deprescribing guidelines because they really were the same, you know? And and once again, study participants were given medication in this trial that's not approved for acute pain. And never would be given. It never would be given because it's not gonna work. It's never, and you saw two quotes, from Australian experts on their new acute guidelines where they said it's really important that you don't use slow acting, long acting modified reliefs for acute pain because it's not going to work. You don't use it. But they, they used it. They chose to use it. And they said the reason was because constipation. I mean, give me a break. That's ridiculous. Sure. It's so ab-
0: I feel like the Opal Study is a front for opioid litigation. I think it is.
1: I think this whole series was, I think the whole low back pain series was, Carrie and I used to call them low back painers because that's always what they say. It's always the low back pain, uh, the wisdom teeth, the headaches, you know, the minor aches and pains. That's always where they go. And then they, they need to make it sound like people with low back pain are getting, you know, Opioids thrown at them like crazy. And you know, the authors kept saying on social media this this week, they're like, well, we don't want people to cut people off. We don't want, we just don't want any new starts. I'm like, okay. And then you see Christine Lynn, the author, where she's like, so how do we get prescribing to be less? That's their goal. Their goal sure. is not better pain care, even though that's what they'll say. Their sure. goal is to lower prescribing, supposedly to cut cost to Australia. But you know what was funny? So In Australia, when they came out with these these new acute guidelines, they made for the first line of defense walking, which they used in this study. They were like, according to the guideline, we tell people the first thing you should try to do is walk when you have this excruciating low back pain, right? And then they said the second thing you should do is complementary treatment, acupuncture, massage, blah, 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 chiropractor. (laughs) But it was so funny because the chiropractors and those people were so mad in Australia that they weren't put as the first line and that walking was just like here. It's just like here when the chiropractic societies and all those people comment on the CDC guideline and they're like, you needs to be one of the first things people do. It's the same thing. It's all about industry, industry funding. And I will say this a million times. They created a new industry of opioid elimination. It's like this huge umbrella, and under it you have like interventional pain, you have multi-district litigation, you have non-opioid pharmaceutical companies, you have medical device companies, you have all of these things under opioid elimination. And that's why we haven't been able to fight because the billions and billions of dollars I mean, Claudia, interventional pain was said to ha- be a three hundred billion dollar a year industry, and that's just that. Oh, and then you have the addiction industry, like Indivir. And, now, and they
0: have all of these poor people? They're going to be put on Suboxone. That's They're right. Gonna be forced to get the injection. That's but right. I wonder if the injections are banned in Australia. I don't
1: know. I need to look. They just made some weird rule with with uh, medication for opioid use disorder in Australia. Something about like pharmacists prescribing it or something, and the doctors are closing up shop because they're like, we can't keep up with this. And they did implement the PDMP there, only e-prescribing, but not all the pharmacies are able to do it, so people can't get their medication. But this is what I think this was like. So they did a study where they use an extremely low dose of the wrong type of medication, and then they say, well, opioids, no opioids work. It would be like, I really think it would be like if they did a study on opioid use disorder and they wanted to see about reducing cravings, right? Where instead of using the right medication like Suboxone, they mm-hmm. use Balbuca. And then sure. the people are like, I still have cravings. And they're like, well, I'm sorry. Buke doesn't work for cravings. Obviously, it's the same thing. Use the medicine people are going to use. Use the dose people are going to use. And give them laxatives if you're scared they're going to have constipation. Give everyone laxatives. I don't know. Like they're that's ridiculous. It's a ridiculous statement. I mean,
0: and it's such a small study that we know is going to be misapplied. We know it's already going is to these people. Yeah, we know all of these people are all. They're all intertwined. It's it, they're all cut from the same cloth. These are opioid haters. And you know, I think people need to realize that Bev and I we're not, you know, opioids for everyone, nilly willy. That's not no. how people put do the doctor patient form. And the people no. that we have exhausted all of the alternatives. And like they Claudia, I'm,
1: yes. I'm glad you said that because I don't think opioids should be the first line of defense for low back pain. It shouldn't. It should not be given right away before anything else is tried. And I know I've gotten attacked. We've gotten attacked for saying that before. But they shouldn't be. Let's try some other more conservative measures first. And if they don't work, then allow for opioids. But this study went way beyond any other conclusion that I've ever seen even prop make up until now. And, you know, Valentine also in her comments did say, you know, now we need to rethink guidelines. And the interesting thing is in 2006 in Washington, Gary Franklin, a prop member, went to media and said, I'm sounding the alarm. There's all these deaths from prescribing. We need guidelines, right? From that came the AMDG Washington guidelines which then mm. from that came the CDC guidelines. So it does seem like they shared their blueprint. They shared, you know, their method with Australia. And Australia is like, we're going to try it too. But I find it interesting that many, like, if you look at the Lancet, if you look at the Medscape, if you look at those comments, have you looked? All of the comments are doctors that are like, what are you talking about? This study is ridiculous. It's not a landmark study. So it's not just us. Yeah. And, and you said it's $40 to access this study so it's 40 dollars through the lancet but we were able to get a pdf of it and i put so i i put an article on our website the doctor patient forum with the pdf of the article and some links in the show notes here, I am going to put all of these links we talked about, I'm going to put, you're going to have it in the show notes. And if you have any comments, you know, email us, Bev at the or Claudia at the doctorpatientforum.com. This is Medscape landmark trial, shows opioids for back neck pain, no better than placebo written by Morgan Brooks. On the left side, you'll see a little like message icon. There's 96 messages in there so much is missing from this ill-conceived study. Did I miss something? I mean, everything, everything people are commenting is how terrible it is. Like, I don't see one commenting, anyone saying that it was a good study. I mean, it's not valid. This study is bad. This study is flawed. Blah, blah, blah. And so it's not just us. You know, of course they wanted it to sound like it was just
0: us. So, Bev, what are people saying about the Opal study coming out of Australia?
1: On Medscape, there were 96 comments with doctors um, and patients alike. And it seems like almost every content uh, a comment is about how flawed the study is, how flawed the conclusion is, and how this study doesn't prove what the authors are. Are saying they prove.
0: And what a, you know, I love it because these authors, they were probably high fiving each other. Oh like, yeah. Great job. And now they're yeah. being streamed on social media. Yeah. Not only was this a flawed study, but
1: there's no, there's no truth to this study. You know, they made it really easy for us because when it first came out, I was like, oh crap, now we're going to have to dig into this study and figure out what's bad and what if it's a good study. They made it so easy. I don't know if they saw a valid point then Prop would come back and, and say in media that we are all paid by opioid lobby. So I still have that timeline and I am going to create it for for Patreon so people can see just the process of how they did it. Like from early on, that was their. This is what they did. Anytime someone gave a valid comment, Prop Kaladni, CDC would come back and accuse those people are being of uh, being paid by pharmaceutical opioid lobby. And you know, when the CDC guidelines came out in 2016, there were thousands of concerns expressed to the CDC and from pain organizations and doctors and and patients. And you know, instead of them addressing even one of the concerns. Andrew Kalodney, Caleb Alexander from Johns Hopkins, who also runs a consulting firm and has made I don't know how many millions is an expert witness, just like Kalodny. Instead of addressing the concerns, Kalodney and and Alexander get together. Johns Hopkins does it for them. And they create a study to analyze all the comments so they can show you what percentage oh was funded by industry. But weird because they didn't say what percentage were like expert witnesses in litigation. That was kind of weird, right? And it doesn't matter. Even if they took like a $1,000 one time, they're like, see, you can't, you can't, Listen to them because they're just and Mandel said it, balanced and they're still saying it. Even up till now, they're saying, Oh, the CDC updated their guidelines because opioid lobby paid patients to con- to complain and say that they killed themselves because no, that's bogus. No one kills themselves. No, and like
0: that that Adrian Few Berman, right? Poor and Adrian as I love when Adrian makes her. somebody's <clears throat> death about herself. Every single time without fail,
1: she makes it about herself. And she and has she's to make
0: somebody suicide about her.
1: Yes, people are fucking twisted. Oh, they're such narcissistic, sociopathic, borderline personality freaks who yeah. actually, and here's the, the, the sad, one of the sad parts about it. They don't care about people who use drugs. They don't no. care about someone with addiction. They just pretended to care about them so that they can make money. And I got man, I got attacked on social media this this week because I made a statement that just because you lost a child, tragically, oh, to yeah,
0: doesn't, know.
1: I was attacked by a pain patient, doesn't make you an expert to dictate policy because Gary Mandel and Judy Rumler, these people dictated policy and they exploited the grief of all these other parents who thought that they were doing something good that would prevent deaths. And mm-hmm. it doesn't make you an expert. Nah. Gary Mandel and Judy Rumler, because your children died, does not make you an expert in PDMP policy. It just doesn't. And you shouldn't yeah. be able to dictate policy in Minnesota because you're a Rumbler. But that's, you know, that's what happened. And that's what they're continuing to do. And I, I don't know if they, they're they going to have to stop eventually because at some point, like, I mean, it's going to affect every now that it's in acute pain more it's gonna sure. start affecting oh, yeah. the everyday people, and you and know. that's
0: what we said though. We used to say all the time just wait till the healthy people are affected, like a car accident. Yeah, and yeah. And I hear from I mean, I heard from a police, I hear from police officers now, chiefs of police, DEA. Right How about that retired DEA You're agent? DEA agent FBI. and the justice, yeah, Homeland Security,
1: Supreme yeah. Court Justice's son with ALS. Yeah. it's affecting everyone and then they put out these studies and media and they're like oh second someone goes to the doctor they're throwing a hundred pills at them are you crazy like you could go in with your limb hanging off and they're gonna be like oh this might be psychological i don't i really don't think how about the video you showed me yesterday on tiktok where that poor woman the nurse has her pain medicine in her hand and she won't give it to her until she stops crying like who are you to do that? Right,
0: right. There's no crying allowed. You know, it has to. It's a, it's a dance, and you can't miss Ugh. any of the moves
1: when no, you. That's true, and that's why. Like, we did have a pain patient who, um, she's a, she's a, she's a great advocate, and she recently was dismissed from her doctor, and she had such an amazing follow-up experience with this doctor uh, where I want to use her experience to show people this is what you do. I kind of want to do like a role play of like, this is what you don't do when you're at a doctor's office. Mm -hmm. This is what you do. Because you know, we have that podcast about it, what to say, what not to say, what's considered drug seeking, what's not. These aren't rules that we made up. We're just trying to show you the best way that you could possibly be treated like a human being in the doctor's Mm -hmm. office. But yeah, we we're going to do a lot of those kind of podcasts Podcast where we play actual recordings from appointments where patients recorded their doctor and, you know, to help you the best chance you have to be, you sure. know, to be treated like a person.
0: Excellent work once again, Bev. Oh, I want to
1: mention, Claudia, Carrie Judy, who is a researcher with our organization. She, again, was my partner in crime. Like, If I tell you for the past week, this is all we talked about. Like, It is it is obsessive, but I just feel like if we're not going to do it, no one's going to. And then Chad Colas, who's also on the Dr. Mason Forum board. And so, yeah, we spent this week really focusing on this. I was supposed to be uh, recording Dope Sick Lies, but that's going to come next because this was more important to get out.
0: Excellent. Excellent. And folks, we 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 really thank you for your support, supporting this Patreon page. And don't forget, there's you can always upgrade your membership, uh, which a lot of people have done. So we've got three categories. As a reminder, we've got the supporter category, the advocate category, and our warrior category. So we humbly, humbly thank you for your
1: support. Yep. Yeah. All right. All right. Thank you. As you just heard Claudia talk about, we have a Patreon page. I'm going to put the link in the show notes so you can go over there and check it out. The original format of this podcast was video for Patreon, but it is really important and I wanted to get it out to everybody for everyone to listen to. We are going to do an updated one with Dr. Chad Colas, hopefully in the next few weeks, where he can go into more of the actual design of the study and explain some more of the flaws. And then Claudia and I are going to do another part to this also about the Lancet back series. We're going to explain a little bit more about that and get some quotes from other webinars that discuss it so you can get more of a feel for why this OPAL study even took place. And then also there are some webinars on YouTube from Australia because they're also implementing uh, like a, an opioid stewardship program and a deprescribing guideline. And it all works together since the study was in Australia. So I plan to take some excerpts from that also and put it all together in a video for you in the next coming maybe month so that you can understand what's really going on and how this is affecting the US and not just Australia and really on a global stage, what their goal is, why they're doing this, why we are suffering And hopefully we can help figure out how to start fixing this. So thank you so much for listening to this episode of the Dr. Patient Forum podcast. Our Patreon page link is patreon.com slash the Dr. Patient Forum. It's also listed in the show notes. Hope to see you over there. Thank you once again for listening to our podcast. If you're enjoying our podcast, please follow us on Spotify, leave us a review on Spotify or Apple Podcasts and share with anyone that you think might benefit from this information. Just a quick disclaimer, the information contained in this podcast should not be considered medical or legal advice.